welcome everybody to what is our very first Easter online service ever. And honestly, I, I'm still having a hard time believing. I'm in shock that our Easter services are actually going to be online this year. Easter, which is the most significant day in the life of a Christian. It's being celebrated all over the world right now, and we're having to do it on an online venue. I'll tell you what, if somebody would have said to me um, last Easter, if they said, hey, Joe, do you know that next Easter, uh, we're not gonna be able to gather in our building, and in fact, you're gonna be doing this online. If they'd have said that to me last year, I guarantee you they'd have gotten an eye roll. I would have said something like, whatever, you don't know what you're talking about. But man, I, I have pinched myself, and it is true. This is our reality right now in this season of COVID-19. We're celebrating Easter online. But I'll tell you what I am really thankful for, and I think you'd probably agree with me. This season is not gonna last forever. So, welcome to our Easter celebration. We're doing this online, and I'm so glad that you are tuning in right now. Also, I wanna say a word to those of you who are tuning in to this service, and it is the very first time you have ever joined us for anything. Welcome to you. I am so glad that you have found yourself in this place, watching this service, and uh, worshiping with us online. My hope would be this, that when this COVID-19 season is over, that you would go ahead and come join us in person, that this, this uh, service would turn into a second service and a third service, and eventually when we come back together, you just come be a part of what we're doing. Uh, we've been doing online services now for about four weeks, and uh, there's been a, a good number of people who are new to new life. They have joined us since we've gone online. And if that's you today, if you've joined us in the last few weeks since this pandemic broke out, you're starting to get a feel and a glimpse of what God is doing here in our church family. So I want to invite you too, that when this is all over, if you have found our church since this pandemic started, if you're able to, I want to invite you to come and join us in our building when we come back together. And if you don't have a church family, I would like for you to go ahead right now and just consider new life your new church family. We're so glad you're a part of what God's doing here and we welcome you. Well, this is Easter weekend and can I just take a few moments here today and can I tell you why Easter is such a significant day in the life of a Christian? Why right now, literally millions and millions of Christians all around the globe is gathering in venues much like this and they're celebrating this day. We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are celebrating that moment when the tomb that was holding Jesus' dead body, when it burst open and Jesus walked out of that tomb alive and well, that is what we are celebrating today. And if you are celebrating that with us today, I want you to hit the like button or the heart emoji, and I want you to affirm that today. This is what I believe, and flood the screen right now with likes and hearts, because this is what we are celebrating. But we're not just celebrating that we are also celebrating the fact that Jesus is still alive and well today. And his resurrection, it is still changing lives today. And if you agree with that, hit the like button, hit the heart button, and share that with the whole world. Affirm, that's what you believe as well, and that's what you are affirming. I'll tell you, the very fact that Jesus is alive and well today is evidenced by all those hearts and likes 
It's evidenced by the fact that you are joining right now, that you are gathered around your TV or your computer or your iPad or your cell phone and you are celebrating right now with us what the Lord has done. My faith has led me to the conviction that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most significant event in the history of mankind. Nothing has impacted the world more than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But before he rose to life on that wonderful Easter Sunday morning, he had to die. And that happened around 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. You see, Jesus was crucified on a Friday around nine o'clock in the morning. It was the final step in a humiliating trial and an execution that had actually started the night before. They nailed his hands and his feet to a cross and then they raised him up so that all would see what they had done to him. He died about six hours later, about 3 p.m. on Friday And he did that all for you and me. Now, even for those of you who are watching this today who have not yet made up your mind about Jesus, you're still sorting through what you believe and and all these details and you're, you're trying to discern if this is what's to be your conviction too. If that's where you're at, I think even you would have to admit That this idea of somebody sacrificing themselves, that somebody would willingly give their life for somebody else, I think even you would have to admit that is a powerful thing, isn't it? But why did he do it? That's a question that I ask all the time. Even to this day, I, I sometimes wonder, God, why did you do that? Why, why did you go through all that? Why did you allow that to happen to yourself? Now, let me be really clear. I don't ask that question because I doubt it in any way, shape, or form. No, no, no. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus lived, and then he died on a cross, and then he rose to life, and he did that for you and me. There's, there's not an ounce of doubt in me. But I still sometimes wonder, why did you do it? God, why did you, why, why do you love us so much that you would endure that? Why? God, why did you go to all of that effort? I mean, have you noticed, God, how most of the world doesn't feel the same way about you? Lord, you died for them, but do you know if the situation was reversed, most people in this world today would not die for you? And I wonder, why would you do that? God, why do you still put up with me and everybody else on this planet? God, I I still hope that you feel like it was worth it. Because you see, in the last 2,000 years since Jesus came out of that tomb, we've given God plenty of reasons to regret his decision to save us. I think we've given God plenty of reasons to regret sending his son to the cross. I mean, if you were to open up any history book that details any point of time in the last 2,000 years of history, you're gonna read so many examples of all the reasons why we'd give God uh, to regret his decision to love us and to send his son to die on the cross. But he still did it knowing that we wouldn't love him back in many cases. But yet all over the pages of scripture, we are reminded of the way God feels about us. 
We are reminded all throughout the scriptures of God's immense love for us. Maybe most famously is John 3.16, which simply says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Did you hear how that verse begins? For God so loved the world. That God loved us. By the world, he means people. It was out of his deep love for us. And sometimes I wonder, God, why do you love us so much? And why would you offer salvation so willingly and freely to those who would believe? But all over the pages of the Bible, it's about God's love. You you go to Romans chapter 8, verse 38, where the apostle Paul said this, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, these are just two passages of Scripture But in reality, all over the pages of the Bible, it proclaims this great love that God has for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So I still, though, sometimes wonder, God, why would you bother with somebody like me? Why would you bother going to the cross and suffering, dying for everyone else on the world? But then I pick up my Bible, and I am reminded, like I said, on just about every page, just how God feels about me, how he feels about you, And how he feels about every single person that has ever lived and died on this earth. He loves us. So all of that leads me to this conclusion. That we are deeply loved. And we are deeply flawed. And I believe that it's in understanding our deep flaws. That we truly understand the reason for why Jesus went to the cross. Our deep flaw is that every last one of us are sinners. That's our flaw, that we are sinners. And that when you understand what sin is and what sin does, then and only then can you really understand and really appreciate all the reasons for why Jesus went to the cross. So what in the world is sin? If understanding why Jesus went to the cross and had to be raised to life, if really being able to understand that begins with understanding what sin is, well, let's talk about it. What is sin? Um, R.G. Lee, who was a really well-known Baptist preacher in the 20th century, he famously wrote this one time. He said, sin is the most heinous and hellish thing in God's universe. Now, that's pretty strong. That is very strong language, but... He is correct. Sin is the most heinous and hellish thing in God's universe. And just one sin, that's right, just one sin creates a rift between you and the Lord. And the Bible tells us that every single person, you, me, everybody else, has at least one sin. I do, you do, and everyone watching this today Everyone who has ever lived has at least one sin, and that's all it takes to create this rift. So you think, what is sin? Well, simply put, sin is to break or to violate God's law. 1 John 3, 4 says this, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. 
It's like saying to God, God, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you want me to do. I'm gonna do whatever it is I want to do. I'm more important than you, God, and you're not gonna tell me what to do. It's like this rebellious spirit that wants to rear its ugly head inside of all of us. It says, I'm gonna do what I wanna do, and I don't care what you want me to do, God. And that right there sets us down this path to sin, sets us down this path of this rift between us and God. Now, sin was first born in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of creation. Adam and Eve specifically and intentionally disobeyed God. They did what God told them clearly not to do. You see, because when God gave Adam and Eve this perfect home in this perfect garden, he also gave them something else. And it's the exact same thing that he gives to you and me today. It's called freedom. Rather than force us into a relationship with him, rather than to force us to love him, rather than to force us into be like these robots who blindly, obediently follow God, he gave Adam and Eve and us this freedom to choose whether we wanted to go with God or we wanted to go it alone. God gave them a choice. You see, as you read the account in Genesis, God set up a couple trees in that garden. There's one tree, which was the tree of life, and it bore all the fruit that when eaten, it would sustain life. But there was this other tree. It was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And if, if you know the story, uh, this is where Satan presents himself in the form of a snake to tempt Adam and Eve to disobey God. And that's exactly what they did. They ate this fruit from this forbidden tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that is the moment that sin, this disobedience entered into this world. This rebellious attitude against God was born that day and everything changed. It more than just entered the world, it entered all of us. And I like how one author describes sin. He said, Adam and Eve's disobedience became an inheritance to the rest of us. Now that's where sin originated and it has been spreading from one person to the next ever since that day. The Bible tells us that even at one point in the history of mankind, back in Genesis chapter six, sin and wickedness was so rampant, it was so widespread, it had infected so many people that the Bible tells us that every single thought, every single inclination of mankind was sinful all the time. Sin had completely um, gone to every single person alive in that day. You know, in that regard, sin is a lot like a virus. It's easily caught, and it is easily spread, and it is always destructive. I don't know about you, but I think comparing sin to a virus is a very fitting comparison in light of what we are living through as a nation right now. Understanding the way a virus operates and what a virus does, well, let's be honest, that's something that all of us have gotten an education on here in the last month or so. Am I right? I think I'm right. I would venture out and I would bet that um, I have said the word virus at least 50 to 100 times a day for the last month. How about you? Have you been saying the word virus a lot more than usual? By definition, a virus is an infectious agent. And this infectious agent, well, it needs a host to survive. It needs a host to latch onto to wreak havoc. 
In other words, a virus does the damage after it attaches itself to something that is healthy. And in many ways, you think about it, that is exactly what sin is. It is this infectious agent that wants to attach itself to you and it wants to wreak havoc in your life. Mostly, it wants to disrupt your walk with God. And just like in the Garden of Eden, Satan is still behind this sin virus. Coronavirus, or COVID-19, is the virus that everybody is talking about these days. Do you know why it's called the coronavirus? Have you sat down and researched that? Do you know why it's called that? It's called the coronavirus because of the way it looks under magnification. This particular virus, it looks like it has little spikes all around the surface of it. Here, let me show you a picture of this visualization or this animation or kind of an an artist rendition of what the coronavirus looks like up close. And you can kind of see these spikes all over the surface of it. The word corona, it means crown. And so what scientists have observed is that these spikes under great magnification, they look a lot like little crowns all over the surface of the virus. Now, you know, when, when we, you know, what do we associate crowns with? We associate crowns today with, with kings and, and rulers. Like a king, he wears a crown and he rules over people. <clears throat> For thousands of years, people have been subject to those who wear crowns. You have to obey the one who wears the crown. And it's been that way since almost the beginning of time. Sin is like a virus that wears a crown. Sin wants to rule your life by making you a slave to it. Sin wants to control you. Sin wants to make you its subject. Sin wants you to bow down and worship it. Sin wants your complete obedience to the point that you can't even hear God anymore. The Bible speaks about this tug of war that rages inside of each of us between holiness and sinfulness. God wants us to be obedient to his rulership, but sin wants us to be obedient to sin's rulership. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that it, you obey its evil desires. Like a virus that latches onto you. You know, Paul said, don't let it do that. Don't let it have any control over your body. He goes on to say, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master. You see, there's something that, a reality that all of us have to be very aware of, and it's that this battle is raging for your very soul. Sin has always been the problem. And when we understand that, when we understand that our biggest problem in this life is that we are sinners, and just one sin is all it takes to create this rift, this separation between us and God. And when we understand that we do not have the ability to bridge that gap, to, to fix this rift with God, when we don't contain what it takes to cure this, when we understand that, that is when 
we can begin to understand why Jesus came and died on the cross. Somebody had to help us. Somebody had to find a cure, and we didn't have it, but Jesus did. So I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, which clearly explains what's all this celebration about today. It says, Paul said, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Did you hear that? Christ died for our sins. He was the cure. He was the fix to this sin problem. Verse four, that he was buried, this is what he did, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. So not only did he die for our sins, but what happened? According to the scriptures, he was raised to life and then he appeared to many people. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. We are deeply loved by God. And at the same time, we are deeply flawed by sin. And that is why Jesus did what he did. That's why he went to the cross. And that's why he came out of that tomb. How many of you watching this today have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ? I'm gonna be honest with you, The Passion of the Christ is one of the most moving movies that I have ever seen. For me, it's not one of those movies that I watch often. It's actually quite difficult to watch. It's not like I'm like, hey, let's put a pizza in the oven and let's watch The Passion of the Christ. No, that's not the kind of movie for me. But there's this scene right at the very beginning of that movie, and it is powerful, and it is rich with symbolism. And, and you really should watch this movie at least once in your life. In fact, this would be a great season to watch that movie. But at the beginning, there's this extremely rich scene with symbolism. The scene begins with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night of his betrayal, and he goes out to pray, and he asks his disciples to come and to pray with him. But if you know the story, you know it was late at night, and, and, and they were asleep, but they couldn't keep their eyes open. They were too drowsy. And in the movie, Jesus is praying, and this snake, which is a representation of Satan, slithers up around his feet. And then you see Satan in the backdrop asking Jesus these questions. Do you really believe that one man can bear the full burden of sin? No one can carry this burden. I tell you, it is far too heavy. Satan says to Jesus in the movie, saving their souls is too costly. That scene captures this key truth about Jesus, that he came to this earth for a purpose. He came to this earth as a cure for sin. He came to earth to forgive mankind of their sin and to open heaven's doors to everyone who believes. This scene in the movie, it, it ends with Jesus standing to his feet after his time of prayer. And he looks Satan right in the eye. It's like a death stare at Satan. It's like, I am going to destroy you kind of look. This resolve in Jesus' eyes in this movie. 
And if you've seen the movie, you know what he does next. Jesus raises his foot and he crushes the head of the serpent, which is a direct reference to Genesis chapter three, when God said to, that the evil one will strike at Jesus' heel, but he will crush his head. It was rich with symbolism. Jesus did a lot of things while he was here on this earth. And there are so many things that we can attribute to him. But at the very core of why he came to earth was to do the work of forgiveness, to do the work of saving, to fix man's sin problem by providing an opportunity for our sins to be forgiven. This truth right here is at the very core of who we are and all that we believe and what forms our convictions and why we celebrate this day. Ephesians chapter one, verse seven says, in him we have redemption through his blood. He bought us, he gave himself, he redeemed us. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So on this Easter Sunday morning, when we celebrate that Jesus not only died for our sins, but he rose to life, he came out of that tomb alive, we, we celebrate the fact that he conquered sin and death. That is what we celebrate today and that he is still alive. You know, there are two viruses that are on my mind today. One of them is the coronavirus. But worse than the coronavirus is the sin virus. And of these two viruses that are on my mind today, only one of them has a cure. And it's the one that's worse. And thank the good Lord, the one that's worse has the cure. And the cure for the sin virus is Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know where you are today and what you believe, but I wanna tell you the truth today, that sin has overtaken everybody, me, you, everybody that's ever lived, and there's only one cure, that's only one thing that can fix it, and that's Jesus, and he went to the cross, died for our sins, and rose to life, and the Bible says all over the pages of the Bible that if you believe, repent of those sins, accept Christ, and follow. What do you believe today? My hope and prayer is that this is the day that you begin a new walk, a new path in your life. This Easter, 2020, online, God speaks to you. Can I pray for you? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you counted us worthy that your deep love extended beyond our deep flaws. I, I, I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. And Lord, it's our pleasure and honor to celebrate you today. Lord, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit is moving mightily all around the world right now, that there will be many people, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands or millions of people, Lord, right now, who are, are turning their heart to you that are seeing that there's a better way to do life and that is a life, a life walking with you. And I pray God today, this Easter would be that moment where we come to our senses and we follow you. Lord, that is our prayer today. And it's in your name we pray these things. The name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen, amen.